0: Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on SiriusXM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. He ran for president. He ran for mayor of New York. He now has a book called Forward, Notes on the Future of Our Democracy. All of you Yang gang members, get ready for the math man himself. Mr. Andrew Yang, welcome back to the Karen Hunter Show.
1: It's great to be here. Thank you, Karen. Great to see you, Sina. Yeah, Uh, thanks for having me.
0: Yes, yes, yes. We were going to play when Dubs cry. Uh, cuz you you know you you had a rough week. Um I've been watching at least on social media you've been getting your ass handed to you by some people. Uh first of all, what how do you uh continue? I'll, I'll read just the back and forth. So you you tweeted, "Why I'm leaving the Democratic Party." Andrew Yang and then you put the blog up. Uh and then Malcolm Nance, who we had on this week, added you and it, and he said because as rich dude, trademark I secretly, and he, this is him quoting you in his head, I guess, as a, as a rich dude, I secretly prefer a Trump dictatorship, the end of American democracy, and ridding us of the pesky liberal voters who refuse to see my benevolent techno genius, exclamation point, hashtag bye. And then you said, why so scornful? The world isn't so black and white. And then he came back. And then it was uh, thoughts. Thoughts, thoughts on this exchange. Just with Andrew Yang. I mean, not with with, uh, Malcolm Nance, because you've had other exchanges as well on Twitter.
1: Well, uh, certainly uh, his mind reading (laughs) of me. I was like, wait, that doesn't sound uh, like what's going through my head at all. So I thought I'd just try and say something, um, you know, moderately uh, pleasant and collegial. Uh, And his statement, in many ways, uh, Karen's what I'm trying to help with, which is, I get people who look up and say, okay, uh, we're in a very, very tough spot and it seems like there are, uh, groups that are working to make things much, much worse and that we have to do everything and we, we can to stop them. Um, and there's so much of that, that frankly, I, I agree with, and I've done work in that direction. I think a lot of people know that about me. Um, but in my book and that I wrote over the course of last year, uh, when, you know, we, we were indoors a whole lot. Um, like, I, I went through my journey running for president, and then I went through my journey through the system, and I realized that we're, we're being set up. Like, our, our system is set up not to work for us. And anyone who's listening to this who's like, hey, things aren't working, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's not working. Um, and one of the reasons it's not working is that we have these d- incentives, both politically and in the media and certainly on social media, um, to be at each other's throats to cast some other group as uh the more as literally our mortal enemies like 42 percent of americans now think that someone on the other side politically is literally like their mortal enemy um and that's going to lead us to destruction and ruin uh and so the question is how can we actually change up the incentives so that if someone does compromise, they don't get voted out of office, which by the way is exactly what's gonna happen right now. You compromise, you're probably gonna get voted out of office, particularly on the Republican side. If they compromise, get, they get voted out. So then none of them compromise. Right. How do you make it so that if they compromise, they get to keep their job? And you're not gonna believe this, but there's actually a way to do it. And so that's the path I'm taking now is to try and unlock people from these perverse incentives that are, are going to destroy us all.
0: Well, uh, about six years ago, I started something called the party of lincoln this is way before the lincoln project actually borrowed uh my my without inviting me to the table which is fine that's that's the story of america um i i said why don't more of us black folk because we are to me the the fulcrum of all political spaces um Register as Republican, particularly in uh, closed primary states where you can either be Republican or, you know, excuse me, open primary states where, you know, you can show up and vote for the Republican. Uh, so you don't necessarily have to register. But if half of us did, it would give us more leverage as, as a group, because right now the Democrats can just do what they've been doing, which is ignore us. And then because they know we're going to show up because we don't have too many choices. Uh, other than to Wow, see what this is incredible,
1: Karen. Yeah, no, no, no. no. So,
0: so when I had Malcolm Gladwell on, I actually, you know, I, I find you to be very affable. You're a nice guy. I think you're a good person. Uh, you know, if we've had several conversations, both on mic, off mic. I don't think you're evil. I don't think you're trying to, you know, egomaniac. Maybe you are. I don't know you that well, but I feel like you, you're a guy that <laughs> Karen, really- like,
1: If you are an egomaniac, you do a good job of hiding it. Well,
0: I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But what I said was, you know- you, you seem like you do want to see this thing work. And and I, you know, I think you really, you know, you're you're open. That said, when Malcolm came on what he said scared the hell out of me. Because I'm I'm even, you know, I was like maybe we need to primary Biden. Maybe we need to find a candidate like no one should feel comfortable. Not Mitch McConnell, not Biden, no one should feel like they got this in a bag. And the only way we do that is to show up politically differently than the way we've been doing it for the last 40 years. Let me finish. So, He said, though, right now there's a binary choice and any moving away from Democrats will mean 2022 will go to the Republicans, which then would allow for the ushering in of 2024. And once they have the Senate and the House, they're going to run the table because they don't care, like you said, uh, about democracy, they don't care about humanity, they only care about power, and then they're going to rule the country, not through election, but it's going to be like an apartheid system where the minority rule because they already have the the local elections locked down, they got the courthouse, the justices, including the Supreme Court, and they could run the table, and Trump is running again. And if he comes back with the House and and the Senate and the courts, there's no more rights probably ever again. This democracy is done. So, yeah, in a good space, if America's in a good space, in a time where we're not at at the threat of having everything uh, destroyed, that's a good time to talk about third parties and all that other stuff. But not now. So when he said that, I had to sit back and, like, take a breath and look at the landscape. We saw January, not a whole lot of accountability with January 6th. And we're seeing what's happening right now, even with the damn debt ceiling. Like, they don't care. Chaos works for them. And that's how they can keep power because they don't have anything else going for them. So this chaos, this this all, all this dissension and all this divisiveness is good for the Republican Party. Why would we just hand them 2022 and 2024?
1: Let's say I agree with everything you just said in terms of the nature of the danger, its seriousness, the timing, all of it. Why are we on the edge of total disaster for our democracy? And the reason is because we have a system that's set up that has actually very, very few safeguards if one of the two major parties succumbs to terrible leadership. You know, because everyone in that party then falls in line because, again, It's their job. If they don't, uh, you're seeing it in different quarters. But there's been one big counterexample, and that is Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, only Republican senator who voted to impeach Donald Trump and is up for re-election in 2022. Think about that. You're up for re-election in a minute, you're a Republican, and you vote to impeach Donald Trump. Her approval rating right now among Alaskan Republicans is 6%. It is political suicide. So why did she do it? How did she do it? And the reason she did it is that Alaska last year got rid of closed party primaries. So instead of having to go through the 10 to 20% most extreme Republicans, which she obviously loses based on that 6%, Lisa Murkowski now goes straight to the general public of Alaska and goes to the 51% and says, hey, I've done good work for you. I'm a reasonable person. I'm an independent. I've got my own judgment. Maybe you should have me back. So let's say you think that the threat is that you have a malignant actor who's overrun one of the major parties. One way out of it is to make it so that members of that person's party actually can exercise their own independent judgment, maybe stand up for democratic safeguards, maybe even vote to impeach, and still keep their jobs. So that is the mission. You know, there are different ways to tackle the same mission. Um, But if you actually change the system of incentives, then you can unlock people from the thrall of a bad actor who is taking advantage of this really, really fragile system that, that unfortunately has been built up.
2: So Andrew, just to kind of build on that point, then if we're talking about kind of those incentives, I always think about how money travels from the very top you have the big uh, infrastructures of the DNC and the RNC, and those trickle down all the way to the only thing that trickles down well in this uh, <laughs> economy is the trickle down of political dollars to smaller states and locals uh, and local uh, municipalities and how those elections are run and how those people are getting to office. That's one huge incentive, taking out the money in politics. Then we have term limits because you can have someone, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, spend their entire life in office and yeah. i don't think that's public service at that point right no, that's not no. a service right so how do you kind of address those two big incentives and i think to karen's point the debt ceiling hostage crisis that happens every year is, is absurd i think we can all agree on that but i'd love to hear what you think about those those two those two points
1: well so the the mechanics of local races uh, a lot of people uh, don't understand what karen was pointing out which is that in 83 percent of the districts around the country it's safely blue or safely red so when you talk about where the money's going, uh, what's interesting, Sina, is that in a lot of these races, like you don't need to spend a lot of money because, like, you know, you know, someone's going to win on one side, one side or the other. So the money ends up flowing to a handful of competitive races. It turns out that 75% of Americans agree with you on term limits, uh, where they, they think that sending someone to Washington to be there for 25, 30 years is not the way to go. And I, I'm going to suggest that if three out of four of us agree on this one, like maybe we should, <laughs> like maybe we should enact our limits. And one of the byproducts of term limits would be that you wouldn't, uh, frankly, have like eighty-eight-year-old, uh, you know, legislators um, who who may expire at any uh, at any moment. It's like a real risk. It's real uncertainty. Like it, it's not good for the system. Like one of the things that I, I want to do is I want to make our system set up to be sustainable for the the you know for decades and uh, to come. And, and so you look at the weaknesses in the system. One of them is that we don't have term limits. We should change that. One of it is that we, we have this, uh, this two-party system that has very, very few safeguards. And if you look around the world, UK has five parties, Sweden has eight parties, Germany has 10 parties, Netherlands has 18 parties. And so if you have a party succumb to terrible leadership, it's a problem, but it's not like an existential problem. It's like, oh, that one party went crazy, <laughs> but then you've got like seven others. But here, if you have one party go crazy, then it, it could be uh, the end. So, so that in my mind is what you should be trying to, to change is like, you've got to make the system actually set up to succeed.
2: Yeah. And I think just to kind of, um, actually, I want to just change gears a little bit. You've, you've run two elections now and you've had a chance to reflect, you've written this book, uh, you've been through the New York, I think the running in the New York mayoral race is probably the only thing worse than that is becoming a New York city football quarterback at the Jets or the Giants, right? I think. I feel, it's just, for, I feel for Zach Wilson.
1: <laughs> it's a yeah. very difficult life, right?
2: <laughs> Can you, th- and before you were, you know, impact investor, entrepreneur, nonprofit leader, you were doing all these things to help small communities and to help make a difference in the world. Looking back, what is the difference now between Andrew Yang before the elections and Andrew Yang after these two elections?
1: Well, I've certainly learned a lot, and uh, I uh, wrote in my book about the experiences of running for president um, because uh, it was such a whirlwind dur- during the time, and I wanted to try and get the lessons down as much as possible. But if you rewind, let's say, three years ago, no one's heard of Andrew Yang. I'm just like a random yeah. dad walking around New York. Um, I uh, run for president and help advance uh, Martin Luther King's anti-poverty platform, and uh, you know, I'd be the first to say like it was never my idea, like, you know, that that people like Dr. King had championed it long before I, I, I came back around. Um, and then I ran for mayor, uh, lost that race. Right now, I'm just trying to do as much good as I can. And thanks to the people that have supported me, um, like, I, I feel like I'm in a position where I can do some good. And so, like, that's what's changed in me, Sina, is that, you know, like, now uh, I... I'm very, very, very concerned about some of the problems that Malcolm has laid out, that like we can see and feel it. Like, like things are very, very bad. Um, and then I have to try and do my part to help. And this to me is an approach that would help set us up for some kind of success. Uh, and also maybe reward the reasonable among us as opposed to the more extreme on both, you know, I mean, really I'm more, I'm more worried about one side, but <laughs> I mean, there are problems on the other side too. Um, but but like the problems on the other side, I'd characterize as more being captive to special interests.
0: Andrew has a new book out. It's called Forward Notes on the Future of Our Democracy, which chronicles his run for president, his run for mayor, but also gives us a little insight, peek into his life growing up. Uh, child of an immigrant, of course. And uh, there's one, one passage where you talk about your dad coming home uh, from IBM, just frustrated that, you know, he and some of his brethren did all of the work they're doing all of the work but they're taking orders from people who can't do what they do and you know that frustration of having somebody tell you what to do when they can't when they're not the ones doing it only because of stat you know being of race or what have you how did that impact you and then now that we're in this space where there's so much racial division raising your children in this how are you different than your dad
1: it made me want to be an entrepreneur because my dad was a frustrated engineer who said that, look, if, if you can't invent anything anymore at IBM, they make you a manager. And so he said the lab was white managers and uh, Asian engineers. And I heard this when I was 13 years old. I was like, well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> and then, and so that, then when I went out into the professional world, uh, I wanted to do my own thing in large part because I wanted to succeed or fail based upon my own merits and not whether, uh, someone above me decided to, you know, bestow a promotion upon me. So it it really, uh, made a difference uh, in the way I saw the world.
0: And, and now, uh, I mentioned before I went to break about your name being Andrew and you were happy because that gave you some modicum of quote unquote normalcy. And I, I I feel just the opposite now. Like I challenge my students. I have, uh, students from all over the world, including a, a young lady from Taiwan. I have, a young man uh, from India Uh, and he's got a name that is so long it goes across the screen but I've learned how to say it over the last several weeks that he's been in my class and uh, I think it's important you know identity and connection to your culture because it forces America to become the thing the more perfect union by each of us showing up as our full selves and that's another question I guess was tied to you raising your children are you doing it differently
1: my kids are growing up so much differently than I am. It's crazy. I mean, you know, if you're the son of immigrants, then your parents don't know anything about anything. And, you know, <laughs> it's like rolled around. And I remember uh, I went into school sometime fourth or fifth grade, and um, I went to sleep in the same clothes I wore that day. Like my parents hadn't discovered pajamas or whatever. And then when the kids found out that that, that was the case, then, you know, I was mocked mercilessly. So I will say that, my kids have uh, like have pajamas. <laughs> you know, they're, they're like, not to throw my parents out of the bus. I mean, you know, like my, my parents did the best they could and uh, were incredibly loving in their way. Um, but, you know, like the next generation, I mean, my kids seem so soft compared to my brother and me. Like my brother and me were just like left to our own devices and, you know, like uh, around a bunch of roughnecks. And I look at my kids and I was like, oh my gosh. Like You know, one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing is I have a joke, but it's true. I was like, my kids are not rugged enough to survive the American apocalypse, <laughs> you know. What I, mean? I mean, it's like, like we got to keep our stuff together so that uh, you know my kids can stay soft.
2: Interesting, Andrew. I guess to build on that, yeah. We talked over the break. You know, I'm a child of Iranian immigrants and stuff like that, and I've always found a great connection with other children of immigrants as well. As we talked about, there's a lot of similar ways that you were upbringing and stuff. How do people like us, how do first-gen Americans? Because we're always the ones that kind of straddle that line of we love America, but we also understand the hypocrisy that is baked into the sales pitch of America that brought all of our parents here. And now we're the ones that are like, hmm, maybe that's not exactly what they all signed up for. How do you get us to be more involved? How do we start getting engaged in democracy and running for local office more? Because I feel like we're the diverse group of people. We have, a lot of us have professional degrees that we're paying debts on still. And then we're the ones that really believe in the promise that that America can be a more perfect union.
1: I relate to that deeply because I love this country, but I struggle with it and struggle with uh, some of the the hypocrisy um, in the sales pitch, the way you described it. And uh, I think that certainly I feel uh, this responsibility now as one of the more highly visible Asian-Americans is to to try and activate people to do more uh, because the country needs us like really, really badly right now. This country is not doing well. Uh, And I do think that people who are relatively recent arrivals to this country have a different perspective. We can show up on the scene and maybe point something out that has been around for a while that everyone has kind of taken for granted, like, for example, that we uh, are trapped in this duopoly that is completely contrary to the founding fathers' vision, and we know it's not working. Um, so let's change it as quickly as possible. And I know there are concerns, and I know, like you know, the the other side is nuts, and I know all that stuff. <laughs> but, but, but if we were to change the process, I'm going to give you all an example that that I think I'll speak to. You. If the Republicans had used ranked choice voting during their nomination process in 2016, Trump probably never becomes president because even while he was whomping everyone, he had like 35, 40%. But it's not like he was getting to 51%. Just the other candidates right. were splitting up the other 60. Not, not a lot of people were saying Jeb Bush won, Donald Trump two, you know what I mean? Like that wasn't a thing. So if you'd had a different process, you'd actually have a much better outcome. And so right now that's what I'm chasing. It's like, let's modernize our process as quickly as possible.
0: So how, how does, you walking away from the Democratic party, how does that impact 2022? You said you're fighting for not 2024, 2022. Andrew Yang leaving the Democratic Party, which right now is the one thing standing in the way of absolute tyranny, uh, absolute tyranny. How does that help us for 2022?
1: What it helps us do is go to states that are red and blue and purple and say, hey, we should change up the process so more points of view are enabled, have ranked choice voting, have open primaries that liberate are representatives from the extremes. Imagine if a Democrat went into a red state and was like, hey, let's make these changes. People would be like, get out of here. You know, uh, Like, you're, you're a Democrat. You're just trying to mess with things. Um, but if you're an independent saying, look, this works better for everyone, the state that's done this already is a red state. It just means more people can participate. Then it has a much better chance of success.
0: So uh, again, I brought up Joe Stein, Ralph Nader, um, Ross Perot, which actually helped I was going to say Ross Perot. Don't, don't sleep on Ross yeah, Perot. I, I would never sleep on him. Thank you, <laughs> Ross Perot. We gave us Clinton for eight years, which uh, was way better than that Bush guy. Um, are you going to run as an independent in 2024? Is that the game plan? Are you teeing it up? Are you going to be raising money for independence leading up to 2022 for, for the midterms, for local elections? What's the game? What's the game plan?
1: So the forward party uh, is open to registered Democrats, independents, registered Republicans. We're going to help candidates that want to change the incentives to make everyone more reasonable. And you can be behind that as a Democrat, as a Republican. So that's what we're going to do in 22. We're going to elevate candidates who want to try and uh, flip a switch, go to open primaries and rank choice voting, and then get behind ballot initiatives that will actually enable this to happen in real life right now. We can do it. If you're listening to this and this sounds good to you. Like let, let's, let's, Make our country more reasonable again. I know that's not a great slogan, but, uh, you know, that that's really what's needed. Um, And we can do it in in November 22. Karen's weighing it. Karen's deciding if she likes it.
0: (laughs) No, It's not bad. It's not bad. It has a nice ring to it. Um, And I think it's what what needs to happen. I just I'm just you know, I, I was saying now is the time. We can't wait until 2024 to, to then bitch about the lesser of two evils. That's been my kind of argument. I, I know folk, are, you know, there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there as well that we're sifting through. So I'm struggling with being responsible with this platform, making sure that we do not derail any progress. I don't want to clip Joe Biden's Achilles, but I, I feel like there's there's we can do better. And so, uh, yes, he's doing the best he can. Uh, But that means that Congress needs to, you know, we we. I feel like we're not holding anybody really accountable and no one is fearing anything, you know, in their local spaces because the Republicans know we always got Mitch McConnell, who's going to gum up everything until we can get back into power, which why is he running unopposed? Why isn't he being primary? you know, I just feel very strongly about that.
1: Well, one one thing I will say too, is that if you look at the appetite for some uh, independent option or third party option it's actually higher among Republicans than it is among Democrats so if, if you were to try and make a case that this could help swing a balance in a way that, uh, that you're going to like uh, that case is actually very much there in the numbers.
0: Okay all right let's take a call uh, or to eight six six eight zero one eight two five five uh Atlanta let's head to Atlanta Victor uh, Victor you're on. Hi Victor
2: okay. yeah hi Karen Hey. Hi,
0: Andrew. Uh, thanks for your run. You kind of pushed the envelope a little last year to force some things that we're seeing now with the the three trillion uh, budget uh, human infrastructure thing. That was sort of one of the things that I think you're running helped stimulate.
1: But the problem, you, I, you, see, a
0: lot. I, I like everything that you're saying, Andrew. But the problem that I've seen over my 40 years of being an active voter
2: is that the problem is at the local level. You hit it right about open primaries. I live in Georgia, where they have closed primaries. So they
0: already know who's voting Democrat, who's voting Republican. If we don't do something about independent redistricting, then none of what you say makes any sense. Uh, I,
1: I agree with you that these non-competitive districts are a massive, massive problem. Um, And they are a symptom of both the duopoly and and party control, where if you're the party in control of a place like Georgia, you're going to draw the districts in a way that really advantages one side. It's one reason why Republicans holding these local offices is is, uh, so, so important. Uh, So I'm with you. It's a massive, massive problem. Um, But it's a problem that's born of the fact that if you have a dominant party, then they can draw the lines and and, uh, tilt the balance in their direction. If you had a system that didn't allow for such dominance, uh, then we'd be in better shape. But I'm with you, the, the redistricting and the gerrymandering is awful.
0: I know you have to run to the next interview. As always, you are uh, a stand-up guy. Appreciate you, your book, Forward. Hopefully the Forward Party you know, can, can make some moves that will help America become what she's supposed to be. Andrew Yang, I appreciate you being here today. Thank you. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday, at 3 p.m. East on SiriusXM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the SiriusXM app.